There's a piper in the corner. There's a dancer on the floor. Friends around the table. There's one who calls for more. And there's Gaelic in the fiddle, like the Gaelic in the glen. And the songs take on new meaning, boys. It's getting dark again. It's getting dark again. Getting dark again. For the second time since we got up, it's getting dark again. Hello and welcome to episode 286 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, joined by Bryson, and we are back after a brief hiatus around the All-Star break. We've got lots to talk about. Three series have passed since we last spoke, as well as the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby, and lots of drama on the Jays' side of things. Bryson, how are you? Doing good, Mark. Like you said, lots has happened since we last recorded, or at least when I was present with you as well a couple weeks ago. I mean, a couple series have passed. Alec Manoa's been back, the All-Star break. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wins the home run derby, and then, of course, the sweep against the D-backs, and then kind of, I guess, going down a little bit against the Padres, but avoiding the sweep. So, yeah, this team definitely is had its good moments and some struggles since uh, we've recorded, and also, just to keep an eye out, of course, I know the AL East has changed in terms of the Orioles taking the lead in that, but the Blue Jays, of course, are slowly gaining ground in the AL East race as well. Of course, not completely in it, but they're not 10 games out of it anymore. So definitely going to be an interesting second half. Very excited to be back and can't wait to talk today about it. Yeah, that's the other thing that's happening simultaneously with everything else. Well, everything is happening with the Jays. They are now only five and a half games back of the AL East lead. That's shrunk from what you said. I think a season high 11 and a half games back, back when uh, Tampa Bay was on a tear, which they have certainly not been. They've lost five in a row, three and seven in their last ten. They've been on a very rough stretch around the All-Star break. Baltimore now taking the lead in the AL East. And the Blue Jays are officially in a playoff spot as we record this. They are a half game up of the Houston Astros for the second wild card spot. And of course, five games back, or four and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays for that first wild card spot. So things are moving. There's a lot of moving pieces with the Jays right now and a lot of different things happening. Um, I guess we can start with the biggest moving piece, and that might be Alec Manoa. Uh, A lot has changed with him since we last spoke. He got called up, faced Detroit, and of course had a good start against Detroit, and then he had a full 10 days off, came back in this series against San Diego, and it was less than exceptional. In fact, kind of a disaster as far as things go with him. Uh, I'm curious what you make of everything, because we haven't got your opinion since he was first called back up. Um, A, do you think it was too soon? B, are you concerned over what we just saw against San Diego? Where is your head at with Alcanoa right now? Yeah, um, it was odd, first of all, when we first heard about this news, and I think even prior to uh, our hiatus or whatever it was, we all kind of were in agreement that we weren't expecting anything until after the All-Star break originally, when, of course, he was recalled Um, But, of course, the news came out shockingly. kind of was just a random, I guess, press conference by John Schneider in the dugout where he kind of just said, oh, by the way, yeah, Alec Manoa is going to start Friday for us in Detroit. So a little bit shocking um, that the fact that it came out. Of course, my original thought looking at it, I still still probably agree with it looking at it a couple weeks later where I didn't think it was the right move at the time. I thought it was forced. It felt a little bit rushed and kind of it 
for me, it felt like at least I know Alec Manoa wants to compete and he wants to be back out there every day. And of course, that's what he's done since coming back up. But for me, it felt like it also kind of puts him in a tough spot as well. And it just, it for me, the situation didn't seem fair at all. But then when you look at it, it was a desperation move, of course, for the fact that we've talked about all year is that uh, this, there's not a lot of depth on this team, unfortunately, at four starting pitchers. And of course, we were talking about that. And even before the news was official with that, Ross Atkins came out and said, yeah, we only wanted to do a couple more times with a four-man rotation and that fifth day with Trevor Richards being an opener only a couple more times. So that was kind of hinted at from him originally about how we felt like we were near the end of that. Did I think it was going to happen before the All-Star break, though? No. And I think there was a lot of people that were shocked by that. And it felt like the majority of opinion was that a lot of people just felt like this was a little bit too rushed. I know he had a really good outing against the Tigers. But for me, after seeing that, as much as I was happy for him, and of course, we were all rooting for him, I didn't want to get you know, ahead of myself because of the fact that the Detroit Tigers are who they are with all due respect. I wanted to see more. I think we all wanted to see more. And then it kind of comes back after coming back from the All-Star break. And then we saw, what he, um, we saw unfortunately, what happened on Tuesday night. I was there to see it live. And I understand that there is a certain amount of people, maybe the Blue Jays are saying it, of course they have been saying it, where they felt like his pitching line wasn't exactly as bad as it looked or something like that, or he wasn't pitching as bad as the line looked. For me, as much as I'm rooting for Alec Manoa once again and everything like that, I saw a lot of similarities to what we saw at the beginning of the year in terms of just inefficient innings, throwing multiple pitches throughout the innings, and then, of course, walking a lot of people. But, of course, on the other side of that, I understand also that he didn't have exactly the greatest luck behind the plate with the umpire. Of course, a couple missed calls that he did miss, unfortunately, that he should have had. And, of course, that also led to the ejection of Pete Walker. But for overall, when you look at it as a whole, it definitely wasn't something that... I mean, any. I mean, I wasn't comfortable with it all, and I wasn't. I guess one to say that it, he pitched better than what the line showed. I thought, unfortunately, it just looked like there were a lot of similarities. I know they're calling it a blip, and of course, if you want to factor in the extra rest he got from the All Star break, I still want to see more. I'm still, you know, holding out that hope that maybe he was just kind of out of sync a little bit. He kind of comes back. He doesn't pitch. There's the All-Star break. He comes back a little bit ahead of schedule because, of course, there's the whole Kevin Gosman situation as well because he hasn't pitched since the All-Star break or before the All-Star break. He skipped the All-Star game, even though we found out it was because of his, his side muscle that he, he pulled or tweaked. So a lot of moving parts with that. I want to see more. I'm not, I'm not going to hit the panic button again yet. I just think going back to this original decision for me again, Maybe you're you think differently, Mark. We haven't actually spoken about this together since the news was official. I just I thought it was rushed and I thought it was forced. Unfortunately, I just would have liked to see him down there a little bit more throughout the All Star break and perhaps near the end of July as we're approaching that. I would have liked to see him eventually make the call up. But I understand that there's not a lot of depth, unfortunately, in this organization right now, and they felt like they had no choice because there really, unfortunately, right now is nobody else that they could have went to. Yeah, I totally agree with you that it seems a bit rushed, and I said this on the podcast back when the news first broke that he was going to be starting against Detroit because our expectation had always been with that he was going to spend some more time in the minors, that he would get at least a couple more starts, it seemed like, in AAA because 
I mean, we all saw what he did at the lowest level and his level of success there. And then, of course, the Blue Jays called him up. They saw what they needed to see. They brought him up to AAA, and then he had a solid start in AAA. But I would have liked to see him get a couple more reps in there, just to be sure. But obviously, the Blue Jays felt they had seen enough from him. And I don't know, part of me thinks that in retrospect, seeing all of this unfold, it kind of makes sense that they brought him up when they did because... A, Detroit is a very soft place to land. It's not a good offensive team, bottom five in baseball. But the second part of this is the Blue Jays kind of need to know what they have before the trade deadline. Like we're, as we stand now, about two weeks away, a little less than two weeks away from the trade deadline. If the Blue Jays are trying to figure out what they have in the starting rotation and if they need additional depth in the starting rotation, they got to bring up Alec Manoa at some point or another, give him a couple starts to see how he fares in the majors. And so I think that is probably part of the equation where they really want to figure out sooner rather than later whether he's going to be a viable piece down the line or whether they need to go out and add a starter and add someone into that rotation. And I think a third part of this equation is also Hinjin Ryu because he's climbing his way back. It seems like he's maybe got one more AAA start that he's going to be making before he comes back to the major league roster. And then all of a sudden... You've got another starter to throw in there. So I think, again, the Blue Jays trying to figure out what they're doing with Alec Manoa before Hinjin Ryu is ready. So now that when Ryu is ready, they can easily, or at least more easily, make the call of, okay, do we kind of cut bait on Alec Manoa, move him to the bullpen, send him back down to the minors, whatever it might be, or do we keep him in the rotation and find another spot for Ryu? So I think now that we kind of know what's going on with Manoa, or at least a little bit better, it's an easier decision to make for the Blue Jays now, or at least they can make a more fully informed decision about what to do at the deadline and what to do with Ryu. Um, with all that in mind, I guess the question becomes, what do you do with Manoa and what do you do with Ryu? Ryu's going to be back in this rotation or at least back on the major league roster within a week or two weeks max, maybe 10 days, uh, you know, kind of two turns, two turns through the rotation. So what do you do with him now that he's ready? What do you do with Manoa now that he's ready, I'm curious what your kind of solution to this is. Yeah, it, all of a sudden, as much as there's no, you know, not a lot of depth outside of the uh, the MLB roster, now you kind of have a logjam on the MLB roster because of Hunjin Ryu. I mean, this was always the plan in terms of a late July return. Like, this was something that all of us had, you know, knew coming into the year that it was going to be until after the All-Star break, until we eventually had this discussion. And now we are because, of course, he is doing... You know, he is in AAA Buffalo. Like you said, he's got a couple more to go in terms of rehab starts. He's pitching really well in terms of what we've been seeing. I mean, it was five innings for him. His last time out, it was one or, or nothing in terms of runs allowed. And he pitched really well. His velocity is slowly creeping up. I think that's been one of the, not concerns, but something that people have been noticing is that his velocity, as much as he's never really been known to be a high-velocity guy, it still isn't where it should have been. Or it, it, it wasn't where it was before his Tommy John surgery. So it's good that that's also creeping up. So eventually he is going to be available, like you've been talking about. It looks like by the end of July, perhaps after uh, the West Coast road trip for this team, he might have the option where he could be starting, of course, because they're going out to Seattle, and then they're going to L.A., and then they come back home. So after that road trip out West... It feels like there definitely is going to be an opportunity for him to slide in there. And I think, you know, I, I think the easy answer right now, um, I don't know how long it could be. And I'm not saying it's going to be the, for the rest of the season. I think this might be something where 
it goes into August, it goes into September, you know, I don't know, not with a fixed date, but I do think at some point um, for the next little while, it's going to move to a six-man rotation. I think that's the easiest decision you can make before you do that. Of course, you like you were talking about, what do we got with Alec Manoa? We need to see more with Alec Manoa. And of course, if you want to factor in other guys throughout this rotation and health and everything, is, is as long as everyone is healthy and everything goes according to plan, I think for now, I don't know how long, but I do think there is going to be a six-man rotation. However, I do think by the time the regular season ends, it will be back to five people. I think this is just probably the easy decision to make for the time being. You want to see what you got out of Manoa, like I just said. You also want to see what you got out of Ryu. As much as he's been looking good in his rehab starts, you need to see him on the MLB level and, of course, how he's going to respond to days off and everything like that. We know how you know Blue Jays starters like their extra day off as well. Chris Bass performs better. Kevin Gosman performs better. So that's also going to be something it's a lot easier to do when you have a six-man rotation. Again, it's not completely ideal, but I do think it's something that they can get away with uh, for the time being it's definitely interesting though in terms of the trade deadline coming up as well how does that factor into in terms of if, if you want to go out and get another starter then that kind of creates a log jam with seven people technically it, you know I who knows how that's going to work who knows who it's going to be the type of caliber uh, the person's going to be I know you saw the report from a couple days ago in terms of a former Blue Jay who I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well with Marcus Stroman I don't know how likely it is. It doesn't seem very likely because of the price and everything like that. But other than that, perhaps it's just a traditional starter that they can get, a guy that can go back and forth. Somebody, it feels like they're going to add their somehow in terms of starting pitching. I mean, Ross Atkins came out and said in any possible way, it feels like he was hinting towards that. He was hinting towards a right-handed bat. And then, of course, he was also hinting at potentially another uh, bullpen arm that they can add. So that's going to be another, I guess, talk of discussion and kind of add on to this discussion because when the trade deadline does pass and then if they add another starter which again seems definitely possible how does that all factor in with potentially seven people for me the easy route right now when you look at it when you look at Ryu on the way back is six people and then by the end of the year when you have everything figured out hopefully closer to the playoffs hopefully we can have that discussion um, then you go back to a five-man rotation then you can kind of figure things out from there that's just the easiest way I see it right now. When you look at it, everybody's pitching well. Besides the fact you need to see Alec Manoa, you know, you want to see how he responds uh, going forward. Besides him, everybody deserves to be in that starting rotation for the second half of the season. So I think it's definitely created a unique situation. Yeah, I think that's probably the right call. I might disagree with you on the length that you go with a six-man rotation. Like for me, ideally, you only do it maybe three or four times for the rotation because I think that gives... Alec Manoa a real chance to prove himself, right? Because, like, two starts isn't a sample size. Like, we, and, and you're right, like, he was getting squeezed a little bit in his last start against San Diego, but I mean, I still maintain that it was a very sloppy start from him. You walk five, that's not all down to the umpire. Um, so, yes, he deserves a little bit more of a chance. Give him a couple more starts, see what you really have, especially with some teams that aren't terrible offensively but aren't great offensively, like San Diego was one of them. Seattle's going to be another one when Manoa starts at the end of this series. So give him a chance, again, maybe three or four starts, but after that I really do want to see the Blue Jays make a decision because ultimately a six-man rotation might sound great, but that means you're losing a guy out of the bullpen or you're losing a bat on the bench because you're running with an extra long rotation. And I think, especially down the line in a playoff race, that's going to cost you a lot more than having an extra guy in the rotation might help you, especially because the Blue Jays aren't really doing it as a 
conscious choice, it seems like he's just doing it because they're kind of forced to with the way the roster is constructed right now. So that's my personal preference. Um, as for what happens after three or four times for the rotation, like, are you choosing between Manoa or Ryu in the rotation? Are you sending one of them to the bullpen or, again, sending one of them to the minors? In which case, Alec is, it would be Alec Manoa underperforming. Like, I don't know what you do at that point. Running with a six-man rotation is just kicking the ball down the road a little bit. Gives you a little bit more time to figure it out. But again, this is all complicated by the trade deadline. Personally, I don't think... I know Ross Atkins has said that a starter is kind of a priority and something that they're pursuing. I don't really see it happening, to be honest. I think everything that we just discussed underlines why a starter doesn't make a ton of sense for the Blue Jays right now. And so... As much as they may love it, as much as they may love to add a starter to the mix, I think just as many guys as they have, as many moving pieces they have right now, it's just too complicated to consider right now. That being said, you brought up Marcus Stroman, so let's talk a little bit about Marcus Stroman. Again, I don't see this happening. The first reason why I just explained, the second reason, of course, Marcus Stroman's history with Toronto, not only when he first left Toronto, but the comments he made since he left Toronto about how basically speaking out against Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro saying they're never going to build around the young players they have, they're a terrible front office. And so just because of that animosity, both in how he left the team and how he carried himself after he left the team, I, I really don't see it happening. Is he a good pitcher? Yes. Is he the guy you want in your clubhouse right now? That's open for discussion, and I would vote no. Bryson, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that honestly, that I, I get it. Who knows how accurate it is or whatever. I'm sure the Blue Jays have done their due diligence. They do this all the time with everybody like that, but it definitely was probably one of the last things I was expecting. I mean, and all the reasons what you mentioned in terms of how the original tenure here ended. I mean, we talked about it. Um, we actually talked about it on this podcast back then when it happened, and of course... What we remember is that I think the initial report is that when he was traded, like he was screaming or something like that, and it was just a brutal scene in the clubhouse. There's been other stories that have kind of, emer- I mean, emerged a couple, maybe a year or two later after yeah, we that. Had, but we never forget the story of, uh, I think it was Randall Grishik who said that Marcus Stroman had kicked minor leaguers out of the conditioning yeah. room so that he could have it all to himself. I remember that was a discussion that we had as well. So yeah. just the off-the-field way, of course, of how it all ended. And, of course, that the fact that we're still under the same regime, it just it makes it, yeah, it just kind of, it's a little odd that, um, I guess, that they're, they're showing interest. But, I mean, if you want to take everything, if you want to just look straightly or strictly on the field, I mean, he's had a hell of a year as well for the Cubs. And the Cubs are kind of in a weird spot because of how, week the NL Central's been but it seems like despite that and despite them technically still being in it uh because of the division being weak they are still going to sell there's lots of pieces that they can sell of course Cody Bellinger um it sounds like they're going to possibly trade him as well so they're they're going to be sellers and it's it also sounds like it's going to be a very high price in terms of what Marcus Stroman's going to offer uh throughout the league in terms of just how just because of how good he's pitched this year so are the Blue Jays willing to go that you know that far to bring him back for potentially how expensive he might be? You know, it, it it kind of just all you all wonder that, and of course he's under contract for this year, and then he's going to be a free agent, I believe, or he has a player option for twenty twenty four. So you don't get a lot of 
I guess, term with that. And, of course, it comes with the chance that he can easily decline it and go to free agency even if you do get him. But, yeah, it just it, it all kind of comes down to the fact that they willing to spend that much to bring him in there despite. And then if, if you want to factor into the Blue Jays' rotation, there's six people right now or at least going to be by the end of July. How does that all happen or how does that all all work in terms of a six or you know if you bring in a seventh guy into the fold i don't know i mean it kind of seems like a headache on paper when you do that but of course if they do bring in a pitcher for me again if if they do it'll be somebody that can potentially go back and forth from the bullpen or anything like that it's going to be more of a depth piece i just that's my initial guess of course definitely could be wrong but yeah it just as much as there's a lot of people who would get behind the idea of a reunion i when you think about it in reality, it just it feels like the likelihood of it happening is very slim. Of course, you can't rule it out completely, but it just seems like there's too many moving pieces and it's not really just at right now it's not exactly a perfect fit because of the amount of or the amount of people that they have in the starting rotation. Of course, I'm sure he'd love it to come back here and I'm sure there'd be again, there's a lot of people that would love that and all, but it's just where everything kind of lines up and fits in. I don't necessarily think it makes sense, but it definitely is interesting, again, going back to the beginning of this, how the Blue Jays were or still are potentially interested in that after just the way everything ended. And, of course, even after that, there were some moments as well. I remember the off-season comment he made about how, you know, this front office will never spend and everything, and then a week later they signed George Springer. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts to this. It's a very complicated situation in terms of how this all ended back in 2019 so that's kind of where things stand I get it a lot of the clubhouse as well is different now so Randall Grichuk's not here there's a lot of people that aren't here who were here when he was here uh so I guess that's another factor you could think of I mean I don't know but kudos to him he's having a really good year and it sounds like regardless if it's the Jays or not he will be on the move somewhere along with the guy like Cody Bellinger and Cody Bellinger is a guy that I would love to have on the Blue Jays. I would pick him 10 times out of 10 over Marcus Stroman right now, not just based on on on-field production, because they're both having phenomenal seasons, but just based on what the Blue Jays need. Like, yes, I can understand how this roster would be improved by adding a fifth starter as type of depth in case anything happens, because we know that as much as the Blue Jays have six guys vying for five spots right now, they have no one else in the system that can take a rotation spot. So yes, there is a need for depth, and if you go out and get someone like, I don't know, like a Ross Stripling type guy, or Mitch White type guy, although you'd want someone higher caliber than Mitch White, but you get what I mean, someone who can bounce back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation and help this team in multiple ways, that's the type of guy you're you're targeting. You're not targeting an ace like Marcus Stroman is this season. But Cody Bellinger, exactly what the Blue Jays need as well, type of strong offensive bat that really is going to help the Blue Jays down the line. And so that's kind of top of my wish list, my wish list as we approach the trade deadline is a, a power bat that can really help the Blue Jays in that department. And it would have helped the Blue Jays in this series against the San Diego Padres. Um, the Blue Jays lose two of three offense, nowhere to be found in game one and two, finally shows up in game three at least a little bit in the pitching clicks as well. So the Blue Jays win 4-0 in that one. Um I don't know, Bryson, what are your standouts from this series? What are your takeaways from what we saw, um, obviously, considering we already talked about Alec Manoa? Because I think that's a big takeaway. Of course. So, yeah, we, we discussed that with Alec Manoa. I think, honestly, the takeaway, as much as we've been on break for a couple weeks, 
it might be the exact same thing. It is <laughs> frustrating. It is up and Ten down because think about base. it. And then when you go back to the series before that against the Diamondbacks, they were hitting with runners in scoring position at all points throughout the, uh, the series. It was beautiful the way they were playing against Arizona. I mean, if you look at the first game, they went 7-2, and then they went 5-2 the second game. There was clutch hitting everywhere all over that series. And then all of a sudden, and of course 7-5 uh, in the third game against Arizona, all of a sudden it feels like you know the way they went into the All-Star break, it was good. They come out of the All-Star break with a sweep. Potentially you're starting to think, is this the run? that we were all thinking is going to happen in terms of them completely just racking up wins. Of course, they did that, but it didn't exactly carry over in this series, like you said. Um, and I thought, there, it, especially today in the third game on Thursday, just a, as much as they won, a lot of sloppy play. I mean, we talk, we've talked about the miscues defensively, the base running, uh, you know, people getting picked off, people being caught stealing, maybe in situations they shouldn't be running, double plays. It was just kind of a mixture of everything, but they won. So that's kind of the, I guess, the ironic part of today. And of course, majority of it as well comes with how good the pitching was. It was perfect today, allowing no earned runs. But throughout the others, you know, uh, the rest of the series, if you look at it, shut out, you know, um, pretty much shut out right away in game two. They they only score one run in game one. So prior to today, they only had two runs in this entire series, and then they scored early in today's game and then they didn't add runs until later on so it was just a series where it felt like at the plate they were kind of going back to old habits in terms of not hitting with runners in scoring position striking out a lot double plays and then of course miscues again defensively it just it was a sloppy game but they came out with the win today thank goodness they came out came away with the sweep and san diego isn't anywhere close to as good as arizona's been this year which also makes it odd have how differently they played um throughout i guess both series so I, I mean it just it just remains the same story it's a very good baseball team when they're firing on all cylinders they are potentially great they are but unfortunately we see flashes of it we don't see it consistently enough and then that's when they kind of go down to where we're talking about in terms of a good team where they have of course the starting pitching for the most part um besides that manoa start was very good throughout the series, or good throughout the series. I mean, Barrios pitched well as well, going back uh, in to game two of the series. So that's kind of just the difference it makes. And as, as much as that's the case, again, they're making up ground slowly and slowly in the AL East. I'm glad they're, you know, of course, they're within five and a half games. The Orioles have already retaken the division for the first time pretty much since opening day over Tampa Bay. They continue to slow down a little bit. So, they are still in this, of course. The playoff spot, the wild card spot is locked up right now. They just need to continue to keep playing well. It's just the frustrating part is the difference of level they have when they go from being great in terms of you know hitting with runners and everything like that, and then when they go down to, again, scoring two runs in two games and just struggling to get by. And, of course, finally they came through again, though, of course, with the big hit late in the game from Alejandro Kirk today in uh, game three of the series. So those are kind of the takeaways from that. Of course, you would have liked to have a series win, but when you're down 2-0 like that in a series, the best course of action, of course, before you hit, and of course in their case, before they head out to the West Coast, is avoiding the sweep and coming away with the win. Yeah, and ultimately, like, you look at this homestand as a whole, you take four of six games from two teams that, you know, they aren't the hottest teams right now. Arizona was really struggling coming into this series. San Diego has struggled all season, but they're competent teams. They're no it's it's not like it's the Detroit Tigers who you get no hit by. Like this is these are two teams that have the talent to win. And so 
taking four of six writ large, that's a success. Of course, once you know that they sweep the Diamondbacks, you hope that they can take two of three from the Padres. And I think the expectation is that they take two of three from the Padres and they exit this homestand with five of six instead of four of six. And of course, that would have made a sizable difference in the playoff race right now. And of course, that's something we're keeping tabs on now. But by and large, when you zoom out a little bit and you see they made up some ground in the race, they kept pace with some of the top teams, like it's a success overall. Um, I think the standout for me from San Diego is uh, Alejandro Kirk, at least in the series finale. He's been really, really struggling this season offensively. Um, he hadn't had a hit for a while. He hadn't had a multi-hit game in more than a month. He hadn't had a home run since the start of June. And he had all three of those things happen in the series finale on Sunday. Went three for three, drove in two runs with a two-run bomb. Um, and that really kind of was the difference for the Blue Jays. I know they were leading 2-0 when Alejandro Kirk hit that home run, but it was the vital insurance they needed to put them over the top and hold on to that win and make things a little bit more comfortable in the end there, especially with Jordan Romano coming out, who's been injured day-to-day, struggling a little bit lately. So um, I think he's my standout from this series. You really, really hope he can get going because we know he has it in him, and the defense has been good this season, but... It's really the, the the offense that's been lacking. So um, hopefully this is a sign of things to come. Hopefully it's not a flash in the pan. Um, and you just keep your fingers crossed that that type of offense, that type of power that the Blue Jays have been missing so much continues. And that's something you also hope with Vladdy, who hit a home run in today's game. Absolutely. And as the second half has come and has begun, it kind of got to the point for me where eventually – you kind of have to have the discussion as much as Alejandro Kirk just doesn't have the same bat as he once did um, last year. Like it just, the swing wasn't the same and everything like that. And Danny Jansen, who's been having a really good year um, and has really pretty much brought his numbers up. It felt like, you know, at what point for me, at least when are they going to start, I guess, not rotating both of them and, you know, leaning more towards Jansen. And of course, Alejandro Kirk, if he could, if he can kind of build off of this, it can kind of, you can kind of end that discussion very quickly and you can go back to having the fact where you can rotate both of them in and everything like that. So it's kind of, it's just a, a thing where you look at this lineup. And of course we've talked about the guys this year that have been carrying it. We've talked about the guys who have been up and down and we've talked about the guys who just haven't exactly performed at all, uh, unfortunately and well below standards. And there's been a couple of them. And of course, one of them has been Alejandro Kirk, who is uh, unfortunately just, again, like what you've been talking about, hasn't been the same hitter to what we've been used to seeing. So for whatever reason that was, from going back to spring training or whatever it was, it's just that's been the case in terms of there's been no power, there's been a, you know more strikeouts than usual, and everything like that. It just unfortunately, he just hasn't looked comfortable at the plate. But of course, he had a really big moment today that we've touched on a couple times already now, where he adds insurance in the bottom of the eighth, it gets the Jays up 4 nothing, and he... He hits a, I mean, he crushed the ball, um, and we haven't we haven't seen a lot of those swings this year. Going back to what we've been saying, so that was also good to see. I mean, he crushed it was 103, I think, miles per hour in his exit velocity, and he just crushed it to um, uh, to left field. It was a slider. So we need to see more. Unfortunately, we can never. I guess you know you don't want to jump the you know jump the gun and say, yeah, this is where kind of his turnaround begins. But of course. The fact that he showed a flash of it, and we know that he's done this in the past, like you've been talking about, 
it gives you maybe a glimmer of hope that he can somewhat, you know, just perform better at the plate. So, I mean, that's something that, of course, this team needs. Going back to what I was saying of how there's been a couple guys in the lineup who have just been underperforming and a team who has been inconsistent with runners and scoring position, everything like that. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer when you, you talk about how much better the lineup can be if he can kind of turn into that player that we once saw last season, too. And on top of that, Danny Jansen's been playing very good offensively and defensively, and I mean, that just makes your catching position a lot better overall. So I think that's something where it was good to see today. You want to see more of it, and it, it'll it depend um, you'll, you'll, until, you know, you have to kind of wait and see, to, uh, to, I guess, to find out for sure if he will be back. But it was definitely something that it was important that he did it himself, and it was also, when you look at it, when it happened today with this home run, it was also very important for the team, despite I understand that San Diego has scored you know, zero runs all game, but it's just the fact of adding the insurance, and it was something that was much needed uh, later on, in the, late in the game today. And shout out to Kirk as well for his defense in today's game, or at least pitch calling, because Chris Bassett had another good start, six innings pitched, four hits, no one run, one walk, five strikeouts, and that was something that the Blue Jays really needed after the bullpen got lit up in Saturday's game and Manoa didn't have an ideal start on Friday. So um, all things keeping in mind, um, Bassett and uh, Kirk have paired really well, especially after the concerns we had not too long ago about the whole pitch calling thing, the whole pitch calm thing. It's kind of worked out for the Blue Jays in that way. Um, okay, should we talk a little bit more about the the playoff race heating up? I don't know if we want to like get predictions in of if the Blue Jays can compete for the AL East title. Uh, this hot start to the second half has got a lot of people talking. We talked about it earlier. Five and a half games back now of the AL East lead. That's something that, you know, if everything goes right, you can make up that gap in 10 days, 15 days. You're talking about things flipping on its head in two weeks. Uh, and especially with the trade deadline coming up, we know the Orioles have already made some moves. The Blue Jays are going to make moves. You can bet that the Rays are going to be making moves. And the Yankees, of course, are always going to be involved. So all these teams, all these moving parts, Houston's going to be making moves. I, I mean, do the Blue Jays, can they realistically make a run for the AL East? I guess that that's an easy question because the answer to that is yes. Will they make a run for the AL East? That's the better question. Do you have a prediction? What are your thoughts? I want to be optimistic and everything like that. And the month of July has been good. They've made up their ground like we've been talking about. The key thing about that is that the last time they played an AL East opponent was Canada Day weekend, which was the last time that we recorded when they were swept once again uh, by the Boston Red Sox for the second time this season. You look at the rest of July, of course. No AL East teams. I mean, they're going out west now. They have a definitely... A lot. I mean, these are winnable series is pretty much closing out the rest of the month. The part that concerns me is the month of August right away. I mean, right away you see Baltimore at the beginning of August. You see Boston right after that. And then you see Baltimore overall two times in the month of August. If they can figure out the AL East woes, they are 100% have a chance at it. And, of course, if they weren't playing an AL East opponent in August, I would be even more confident that they'd have a chance at it. It's a bizarre kind of... I guess stat or whatever you want to call it this year of why they just can't perform well against the AL East. And they just feel like they're completely different uh, in terms of teams like that, because overall they just struggle at everything together um, so far. And again, we saw that candidate weekend against the Red Sox and no matter who they are in the AL East, it just seems to be a common occurrence. So 
of course, if they can figure out that whole AL East woes thing, I don't know if they will. I mean, already we're kind of at a point where they haven't, and we're already in the month of July. That's gonna for me. That's gonna be the deciding factor because right at the beginning of August, that's the test. You have Baltimore, then you have Boston, and of course, a couple weeks later, you have Baltimore again in Baltimore. So. If they can figure that out, they 100% have a chance because of what they did in July. They're within five and a half games. They're not 10 games back. They're not nine games back where it completely seems out of reach and out of question. And that's something where when you look at it last year in comparison, they kind of, they made ground in September. They just ran out of time. I mean, we're, they, we had this discussion just two months later um, last year in terms of the fact that if they had another couple weeks left in the season, they Definitely had a shot at catching the Yankees because the Yankees really slowed down at the end of last season. So Tampa's kind of slowed down already. They slowed down a little bit before the All-Star break. And then, of course, picking up as much as they played the Royals right out of the gate. They got a couple wins from that. They are still struggling um, before they did or before the All-Star break. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. And, I mean, shout out to Baltimore, who all season has just been a, a fantastic team. And a lot of people, you know, seem, you know... I don't know how confident everybody is that they can sustain it, but when as much as everybody says that, we are in the month of we're we are at the end of July and they have no signs of slowing down. So part of me is a firm believer that this is who they are and they are a legit team who, of course, are leading the AL East now by uh, by a game or just within the AL East now in, in terms of tied with Tampa being back and forth and the Jays are right behind them and in, um, in the AL East race for that. So definitely have a chance. I don't know if I'm super confident because of the reasons I said, but it's nice to be able to have this conversation with two months left in the season, whereas last year we had it with one week left uh, in the season. Yeah, and even a month ago, we didn't think we'd be having that conversation this season at all just because it looked like the Rays were going to be running away with things, but obviously the situation is flip-flopped. The Orioles, I don't know. I'm buying stock in the Orioles right now. I think they're for real. Like, you compare this year to last year, Orioles were good last year, but I think the problem was, like, their front office wasn't right quite there yet. Like, didn't they make a couple moves? They traded away some guys towards the deadline that kind of took the wind out of their sails. That's not the case this year. This year, I think they're going all in, and they're ready to embrace this kind of winning period. And so, I'm buying stock in the Orioles. I know that doesn't bode well for the Jays. I think the Jays can give them a run for their money, though. And like you say, I think it will kind of come down to this month of August because you do have six games against Baltimore. If you take four out of six of those games against Baltimore, you gain two games in the standings, and then you're looking at three and a half back. So you need to win essentially three, let's call it four more games than the Orioles over the course of the 21 other games you play in the month of August in order to make up that gap that gap, and pass them in the ALE standings. So you need to win four more games over 21 games. I think that's very doable for the Blue Jays. Will they do it? I don't know. I'll, I'll stand pat with you. It's anyone's guess. We don't know what's going to happen, especially with the trade deadline. The Blue Jays haven't seemed to be able to get any momentum this year. Maybe they will if they add someone at the deadline. Who knows? So that's anyone's guess, but I think it's very attainable. You're looking at four extra wins over a 21-game period, assuming you take four of six from Baltimore in the six games you have in August. And then you're essentially tied going into the month of September, and anything can happen there. You don't have any head-to-head in September between the Blue Jays and the Orioles, but you've got tons of head-to-head against the Tampa Bay Rays if they remain in the situation, which, of course, I think all of us expect them to. You've got 
six games against the Rays in the month of September, and then that includes the the one game on October 1st. So either way, I think those 12 games against Baltimore and Tampa Bay in the remaining two months of the season, that is going to be what this season comes down to. And we've been saying that since the start of the season, it's just playing out right now. So it's going to be an exciting final two months, but the Blue Jays are definitely in play. They just need to step it up a little bit, especially in those head-to-heads against the AL East, because that has been an area of very real, very severe struggles this season for the Blue Jays. Um, okay, the Blue Jays are heading out west. After welcoming the west at the Rogers Center, they're heading out to the west themselves with a series against the Seattle Mariners at T-Mobile Park. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., very familiar with hitting home runs at T-Mobile Park. We'll see if we can do it in this series as well. Uh, the starting pitching situation, um, it's Yusei Kikuchi versus Bryce Miller. Tomorrow on Friday, Miller is a 3.66 ERA this season. Saturday, it's going to be Kevin Gosman versus Logan Gilbert. Gilbert is a 3.65 ERA. And then the series finale on Sunday is going to be Manoa up against Brian Wu. Wu is a rookie this year, has made eight appearances in the majors, 4.74 ERA. Um, I've got my series predictions ready, so I guess I can go first. Um... I say they win Kikuchi, win Gosman, lose Manoa. I think that's the easy road to take. Jacob is predicting the same thing. Bryce and I imagine you might be in the same boat on this one. First episode back in a couple weeks. I think the easy route and the safe route is to go the same. And of course, before you even spoke, that was also my kind of my thinking on that. We had a whole episode on Manoa. We, We need to see more and... You know, I don't I don't necessarily think there's a lot of confidence right now in terms of us, you know, just because we need to see more from that. And of course, Gosman uh, is back finally for the first time since prior to the All-Star break. He's going to be all well rested and hopefully I'm sure he's going to pitch well. And of course, Kikuchi against his former team tomorrow night. I think he's also, you know, definitely going to be motivated. I mean, um, regardless, I think that they're they're in line to do well this weekend and Friday and Saturday. And uh, the Mariners, again, are still a team going back from April who are kind of just haven't been the same uh, so far. So they they have a really good opportunity to do that this weekend. And kind of funny how I'm sure you were following the story of the Blue Jays kind of having a, their own section in the Mariner store before it was kind of removed after some players were voicing their displeasure. And, of course, on top of that, they're going to have home field advantage. Uh, I think that's the expectation this weekend as well in Seattle. It's always fun when they go out there and they have all the fans uh, from out west that go to the game. So uh, they're definitely in a good position to – at least win the series this weekend. They should win the series this weekend, and I think the easy route definitely is going with the Friday and Saturday win and then a loose Sunday win uh, for a prediction. I got to be honest. I think the blowback that the Mariners got for having the Jays gear in their team store is dumb because if you go to other ballparks, like, for example, I think it's Fenway Park. If you're there for a Jays series, they sell Jays gear, or at least it's gear that has, like, the series printed on it. They'll say like Boston versus, and it'll have the Jays logo on it. So like, I don't know. I've seen that type of thing at other ballparks. I don't think it's that dumb. I think Mariners players were making too big a deal of it. Mariners fans making too big a deal of it. Like they're just making money. The money's all going to the same place anyways. Like it's like, I don't know. It, I can understand getting upset about it, but I think they were making a bit of a, too big a deal of it. But yeah, you're right. It's it's the easy road to take uh, saying they're going to lose the Manoa game. So we'll see what happens. Either way, we can update 
the series prediction standings. I gained a little bit of ground or in the, the Tigers series. I said they would uh, go 2-1, and one, lose game 3. They ended up losing the second game in that series. So I got 3 points, not a perfect 4 points. Bryson, both you and Jacob said they would sweep the series. They did not, so both of you get 1 point. Uh, so I gained a little bit of ground. The, the tally as it stands now, Bryson, you're at 52 points on the season. I'm at 49, and Jacob is at 34, of course. Things won't change in this series because we all predict the same thing, but we'll see what happens at least after that for the series after. Um, okay, thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode. Uh, hopefully we'll be settling back into a series-by-series series schedule now that we have got the uh, all-star break uh, jitters out of our system, I guess. Uh, as always, you can support our podcast on uh, buy us coffee you can join our discord you can check out all our social media everything is in the links below this episode and we will catch you next time